everybody. This is Joel Junker, and welcome to another episode of the Cameron Brooks Podcast, Above and Beyond. Uh, this is a uh, this episode here. I'm just really proud of uh, because Mike DeBach is um, been extraordinarily successful in his career, uh, and I had a chance to catch up with him. Uh, Mike is a 1996 uh, West Point graduate, uh, Apache, a helicopter pilot while he was in the Army. Uh, made the transition in 2004 to uh, Florida Power and Light. And uh, Florida Power and Light is owned by NextEra Energy Resources. Mike's still with his original company. He is the executive director for gas infrastructure today at uh, NextEra Energy Resources. And uh, the reason why I really like this podcast so much is that uh, Mike uh, talks about what made him successful early on in his career. And he shared a story where he uh, wasn't too proud to do any job, uh, to include picking up trash in the parking lot uh, when his organization was moved to a field site to support some of the uh, infrastructure that was taken out during a a Florida hurricane. Um, That ended up leading to him uh, doing some crisis management Opportunities later, uh, early, later from that, early in his career, that crisis management uh, that he took over uh, ended up allowing him to demonstrate his planning, his decision making um, that he learned in the military, and then from there, great things happened. Uh, so Mike shares that story with you. It's just great advice about just do all the little things well early in your career, because people are watching. There's a lot of opportunity for you to add value, and it's not always just in the big jobs. So I hope you really enjoy this this uh, episode. For those of you that are new to Cameron Brooks, I encourage you to check us out on the online at Cameron-Brooks.com. Uh, check out our book, PCS to Corporate America. It's the uh, my you know not just because my name's on the book, but because I truly believe this is the best hand uh, the field guide, if you will, to being successful in making that transition to business. You can uh, read a preview on that on our website, the the introduction to chapter one. You can also uh, go to uh, Amazon and order a copy and read some reviews there. Uh, Lastly, check out our blog uh, on our website at Cameron-Books.com as well as our learning library. And uh, feel free to contact us at candidates at Cameron-Books.com if you have questions. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Mike. It's Joel. Welcome to the uh, the Cameron Brooks podcast. Great to have you. Thank you, Joel. It's nice to be here. So you and I were um, chatting before we got started, and I know there's a subject we want to jump into pretty quickly, and that's some of the overlap of the decision-making process that you were taught in the military, how applicable that is to business. But so we can give some the listeners uh, some context, if you would give us like the, the two-minute elevator pitch of Mike DeBach, military to your role, what you're doing today. Sure, happy to. I'm a 1996 graduate from West Point. Um, I spent uh, eight years in the military flying uh, Apache um, helicopters um, with the 1st Infantry Division and the 4th Infantry Division. Um, After a nine-month tour in Iraq, uh, I made the decision to transfer from uh, the military to corporate America. It wasn't a decision that I made immediately. It was one that I made deliberately um, with uh, with the Cameron Brooks team and the support of assessing the strengths and weaknesses of a military career versus a, a corporate career. 
Um, I transitioned with the Cameron Brooks team um, out of the military in 2004 and was placed with the Florida Power and Light Company, um, which is a regulated utility serving 4.5 million customers' um, electric needs in the South uh, Florida market. Um, I've been with the company um, that I got placed with with Cameron Brooks ever since. Um, 14 years, or excuse me, 13 years later, I'm now the Executive Director of Business Development for our gas infrastructure business. So I have the day-to-day accountability for just over $4 billion of, uh, of uh, natural gas infrastructure investments. Um, I'm responsible for the growth um, of that business as well as the greenfield execution of the business. So what that means in plain English is to identify new business opportunities, vet the strategy, vet the investment, and then deliver on that investment um, with a physical asset um, in market, um, on budget, to scope, and on time. And you mean by physical asset, like a pipeline? Yeah, like a pipeline. So our business is focused, my specific business is focused on uh, natural gas pipelines. So taking natural gas uh, from production regions across the country to demand regions, um, because a lot of times where the natural gas is found um, is not in the exact same place where the demand um, for consumption exists. So therefore, a pipeline is needed. So, Mike, when you transitioned out and you went to uh, FPL for Power and Light, um, talk about like your first three to four years for the listeners in terms of how promotions, how often did they come? Um, what did you do to establish yourself and your company those first three to four years? Uh, because I just think those first three, four, five years are critical to the foundation for your future. But I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, sure, absolutely. That's that's spot on, Joel. They are they are critical to the foundation, just like a platoon leader role is critical to a foundation of an officer, you know, in the in the military. Um, when I when I entered the company, I came in as a sourcing leader responsible for aviation sourcing, which was the link to my aviation career. Um, I found it to be a win-win because it was an area that I saw an ability to deploy my military um, leadership skills and decision-making processes to a corporate um, need. And I also saw it as an opportunity for me to learn um, the corporate lingo and, and commercial terms to which we in the military don't always think about, liquidated damages, contract provisions, you know, and all the different things that make corporate um, America go round. Um, I entered that job in 2004, and uh, it was unique um, time in the, in the history of FPNL because that summer, um, four hurricanes would hit our service region, taking out um, the majority of our customers at any particular given time. And I was asked to actually move um, out of the corporate offices into a field location. And, uh, and as a result of that, ultimately had an opportunity to deploy my logistics capacities right, in the corporate setting. What does that mean? Um, in, a, in, a, in a storm event at the, at the utility, every employee is asked to do a storm role. So it's kind of like a field role. And uh, my job at the time was to pick up Coke cans and trash in the parking lot when the uh, big service trucks um, would leave and go out and work on all the repairs on the transmission and distribution system. And while I was kind of upset with that initial role and that initial assignment, um, it was humbling because what I realized was that um, this was no different than a deployment to a, uh, to a combat zone or to a peacekeeping operation right in the, in the military setting and so we would occupy an assembly area and you know it'd be very haphazard and then ultimately you know controls set in and life sets in and and the operational efficiencies start to set in 
But what I really learned more importantly than that, Joel, um, was to keep your head on a swivel. And uh, suddenly somebody walked into a logistics trailer and said, does anybody know um, a town called Arcadia, which just happened to be about 50 miles north of where we were? And I said, I do. Um, and I said, I grew up in that area. I'd be happy to go up there. What can I do for you? And they said, go park and go find a place to park 150 trucks. Well, for a military guy to find a place to park 150 trucks is not difficult. So I quickly responded back, you know, a couple hours later that I had found such a place. And they said, well, good. Hold on a minute. You're going to get a logistics compliment to come in and you're going to set up a logistics staging base for Florida Power and Light. And I said, well, what does that mean? They said, well, you're going to get all the resources you need to run a full service logistics center to supply all the equipment to the trucks, all the food and lodging to the personnel, um, and, and it's, you're basically building a mini city. I thought of it as building assembly area in a military operation. Um, cut a long story short, I was able to do so in such an efficient manner that ultimately, just by luck again, um, these areas got consolidated and I ended up running, just as a six-month employee, right, one of the largest logistics sites in the history of our company. Um, and that actually totally redefined my career at NextEra um, or at, at FPNL. And I think what the lesson I take away from that, Joel, is coming into corporate America and the initial assignment is a door opening opportunity. And once we as military officers enter an enterprise, it's up to us to uniquely define who we are and to grow a career um, for ourselves. And if we just take exactly what we've learned in the military and apply it in a setting that needs leadership, um, great things can happen. Um, as a result of those storms um, and those logistic leaderships, I then pivoted um, to basically um, help our company um, grow our renewable energy business. Today, NextEra is the largest renewable energy company in North America. We have more wind and solar operation than any other company in this, uh, in this country. And uh, my job transitioned after the storm duties to help leverage our supply chain to lower the, um, the procurement costs, if you will, or the balance of plant equipment so that we could become more competitive and grow our position in the renewable business. Um, and that is exactly what we did. Um, and as a result of that opportunity, you know, incremental doors began to open. So you basically, you had your primary role of coordinating aviation assets, and, and you had to deploy to a field site because of hurricanes coming in and hitting Florida during the, the hurricane season. Is that that's right? Exactly, that's exactly right. That's exactly and you had right. additional duty. If you had, if your additional duty was to pick up trash in the parking lot. That, that was the initial assignment. That's exactly right. So you were procuring aviation assets, and they said, oh, by the way, you've got to pick up Coke cans and litter in the, tra in the trash in the, the parking lot. That's right, which was which I joked was like that was never in the brochure. <laughs> but you right, know what? It's the right. same exact thing as, as in the military, right? Sometimes you, you, you get an opportunity to go do something that isn't within your specific job description. And it's our job to, you know, as, as leaders, it's our job to make the best out of any situation, not only for ourselves, but for the teams that we lead. And that's exactly what I did. Yeah, it just reminds me of this time when I was uh uh, when I was in the military and was at the National Training Center, and there's this lieutenant um, in the uh, operations uh, shop, the, the tactical operations center. You know, he wanted to be out in the out with the platoons and be on the line. I kept telling him, "Listen, just do what you're supposed to do here. Do like a really good job of it, of it, and you're gonna get like a really good platoon out of it. Just like stop complaining 
and you just do a really good job of everything that anything that needs to be done and just look around you and try to help. That's right. This guy was like pumping out like great PowerPoint slides and like keeping up uh, the, the the board on readiness, really up to date. This this uh, observer controller comes in. It's like, wow, this board is amazing. Who's doing this? Just keeping this board up. And, and you know, it's, it's Lieutenant So-and-so. And so all of a sudden, there's like a battalion-level after-action review of this. And the OCs talk about him. And I was like, see, I told you, just do this, these little things super early in your career, and the big things will come. That's right. And we could just... I think everybody remember that about their initial position and they go to corporate America. Chuck Alvarez, our CEO, always says, it's just your beachhead when you're coming into corporate America. The initial position is your beachhead. If you could just do that well, that's right. other promotions will come after that. That's right. Yeah, it's kind of like being in the military, Joel, and being sent as a part of an advanced party to a forward assembly area, right? And then all of a sudden, as a result of, of, of being a really good liaison in that forward assembly area, next thing you know, you're appointed to be the commander of the entire tactical assembly area, and you're running, you know, you're running a key piece of combat operations that you never anticipated that you'd have the opportunity to run when you were initially tasked with going to, you know, being an LNO in a forward assembly area. I mean, it's that simple. And I think that that initiative is something that is ingrained in military officers. And that initiative, when demonstrated and, 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 and shown to corporate entities, is absolutely adored. I think sometimes, you know, military officers will transition out of the military and recognize that they're brand new in a corporate setting and sometimes, you know, are bashful to show their initiative or bashful to show their, their true leadership characteristics. But I would ultimately encourage all of us as, as military officers or as former military officers never to be bashful about our characteristics to be able to lead complex problems and provide unique solutions to those problems because that is what we're trained to do in the military, and corporate America has a desperate need for that, for that uh, competency. We, I want to make sure we get into this next part because we talked about – sorry, you talked about how you didn't, you didn't realize – you know, how much you would leverage or lean on that military decision-making model that was taught to you probably since you were 18 as a cadet at West Point all the way till you transitioned out post-combat deployment to Iraq. Um, and, of course, I think the other branches have something similar in terms of how they go, uh, go through a decision-making model. And not everybody's army, but why don't you share with the listeners about that lesson and so maybe the, those that are still in the military can really master this decision-making, take that tool with them. And those that maybe are alumni listening to this can really look, hey, I can go back and really utilize this. So take us back to that. I know we touched on it before we got started, but for the listeners now. Yeah, sure. So, you know, the military decision-making process really is founded on, you know, knowing if to decide, then when to decide, and what to decide. And if you think about the deliberate process that the military decision-making process takes you through, right, and the roles of the commander or the leader and the roles of the staff functions within that process, um, the correlation to, uh, to the business environment is, uh, is without question um, relevant. So when you think about the initiation of the decision-making process, it all begins with the commander's intent, right, or the executive's intent or the business intent and what it is that the, the organization is attempting to solve or attempting to do. 
Um, and then actually thinking through that decision process and going through an analysis and understanding both, you know, the friendly capacity as well as the enemy um, strengths and weaknesses. Um, looking at uh, course of action development to be able to leverage, you know, the friendly strengths while defeating the enemy on their weakness. Um, going through a wargaming scenario, going through a comparison of the courses of action, and then ultimately gaining approval. Um, then writing an order, rehearsing, and then the ultimate, right, which is the execution um, of the overall, the overall plan. If you think about the correlation of that to the business cycle, it's exactly the same, right? Companies set strategy, right, which is equal to the commander's intent. That strategy then requires a implementation plan, right, that is able to not only um, bring forward the corporate strengths, i.e. the differentiated strengths that companies bring, but also deliver it into the market. And the market, if you will, for just a moment, um, not the customer, but the market is the enemy, right? Sometimes unpredictable. Sometimes the market has strengths and weaknesses. And a company's ability to effectively implement strategy is 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 premised on the ability for a company to interface inside of a market effectively. And sometimes that's where actually companies fail, is that they know what the customer needs, but they're not able to respond to the dynamics of the market. And that's ultimately sometimes where military organizations fail. They know their strengths, but they're not able to respond to a robust and fluid enemy and therefore defeated on the battlefield. Um, but understanding and delivering and de developing courses of action, understanding the strengths and weaknesses of the organization, and then ultimately developing an execution plan that delivers a project or delivers a strategy within a specific time frame, within a specific budget, and to a specific quality standard um, is, is exactly what's expected of us in corporate America. Then, you know, you step across the line of departure, and as, as famous military leaders would say, a plan is only good as until the first soldier steps across the line of departure, and then you, have to, then you have to have a flexible plan that is able to respond to the enemy in a fluid battle space. It's the exact same thing in a business, right, or in a complex corporate project. The moment that you actually get the board approval, if you will, or the funds allocated for investment, and you actually begin the deployment of those dollars to the capital project, Right, you step across the line of departure, which is known as you know the initiation of the project, and then you're fighting a complex market. Right, the assumptions that you made during the uh, war gaming aren't holding true, but you have a flexible plan that allows you as a leader to provide guidance and to provide direction that ultimately culminates in a very successful project, um, just as in a, a military environment culminates in a very successful mission. Concluding the mission, you step back and you do an after-action review. You assess what went right, what went wrong, how can we do better next time? And that's the exact same thing that we need to do in the corporate environment as well. Because here's what we do know, is that the market that we responded to today will be different than the market that we respond to tomorrow. And that differentiation and, and the company's ability to respond to that differentiation is what gives a company a competitive advantage. And it's the exact same thing, which gives a military force a competitive advantage on a battlefield. It's really good, especially that part where the market we responded to today will be different tomorrow. And that's something that I don't know that I fully appreciated coming out of the military personally, going into the business world. It's how dynamic business is, constantly changing and shifting and how important it is for a company to constantly change and shift. And maybe I just wasn't in the military long enough, um, or because I was during a downsizing period. I was pre, was post um, Gulf War One, pre 
uh, September 11th, that I think post-September 11th, the military has had that dynamic changing. But it was a bit of a shock to me, not a, like shocking, like they couldn't adapt, but how just constantly there's just so many forces, no control over, that you have to keep adapting and changing to things. That's right. And you've got to read books. You've got to find mentors. You've got to read newspapers. You've got to learn new skills. You got to build a network. You got to listen to your team members. You got to listen to peers. You got to listen to your boss. You got to take all this input in, and ultimately make the decisions and adjust from the, those make and, and, and be willing to adjust your decisions or admit when you were wrong that change mid course. That's right. That's right. And you you think about it like this, and well as, as well, Joel, is that no longer can one military unit right operate in a battle space um, alone, other than maybe the SEALs or special forces, which are very elite organizations. But the propensity of organizations today require um, a matrixed um, decision-making process, right, whereby the commander is looking or the, the operations planner is looking at, you know, the aviation community, the intelligence community, the logistics community, the armor community, the infantry community, the, the naval community to come together on a combined arms basis. And all of their inputs, right, and all of their perspectives are important in developing a comprehensive and flexible plan. It's the same in corporate America, right? Corporate America leaders are not known or not needed to be experts. They're needed to, to, to lead cross-functional, dynamic organizations to take a group of subject matter experts, right, and all their opinions and all their points of view and glean them, assess them, and, and ultimately you know, feed them into into the plan. Because I'll tell you, out of my uh, 13 years of my business experience at NextEra, leading, you know, domestic and international um, projects of all kinds, um, I have never been um, responsible for knowing everything. But I have always been responsible for aggregating the team that in the collective nature can know everything and bringing together a comprehensive solution that is a representation of the business, right, of the business minds that exist on my team. Um, and I think that's an important, that's an important, you know, distinction because in the military as well, typically, you know, we, while we are known to be leaders, we're not known to be experts on everything. Um, you have to leverage the, the team in order to be able to be as effective as possible. And in a corporate setting, the exact same expectation is set upon leaders. Uh, you know, we, when we, Start before we hit the record. We were talking about um, many of the successful officers that Cameron Brooks worked with that are still with Next Era. Um, you, you being one of the first ones and, and one of the most successful. So you've seen a lot of people and how successful they've been. Whether it be you or or Anthony or, or Kevin um, that are there, what do you think the commonalities are of how they've managed their career? that has allowed them to be either successfully both personally and professionally, what would you say that those are? So other people listening to this could say, hey, I need to work on that. I want to be better at that. I would say we're humble yet aggressive leaders. And what I mean by that is humble in the nature of knowing what we don't know and willing to admit that, um, but yet being an aggressive enough leader to, to rest upon our, our expertise which is leadership. And, you know, corporate America, I think, particularly in, in the companies that, that I've seen, you know, military officers placed in, um, and I talked to some of my peers that have gone through the Cameron Brooks experience and so on, 
All of us are hired based upon our capacity to lead organizations. We're not hired based upon our expertise in commercial skill sets or our expertise in executing mezzanine financings or our expertise in developing, you know, global infrastructure projects in, you know, six different marketplaces. We're hired for our foundational leadership capacity. Um, and when we bring that to left, we bring that capacity to bear in a humble nature, great things can happen. Um, you know, you think about a network that's established inside of an enterprise, um, you know when um, you know when some of these former military officers walk into a room because they bring a they bring a capacity to lead that I would say is absolutely unparalleled. However, right, I've also seen folks not do so well. And that and I would say that the number one differentiation between those that do and those that don't is their ability to lead in a humble fashion. Yeah, no, different, a, uh, no different than the first day in platoon leadership, right? The platoon leader that walks in front of his or her platoon on the first day and, and, and you know, attempts to inspire their knowledge and their expertise um, and their leadership philosophy um, and take into no regard the team that stands in front of them typically is not the most successful platoon leader. But the platoon leader that humbles him and herself in front of their platoon and establishes themselves as a leader, but recognizes that the strength of the team is the strength of the unit, is the exact same capacity that makes a leader in corporate America successful. Yeah, I mean, there's a Lencioni, Patrick Lencioni, uh, who uh, wrote the Five Dysfunctions of the Team, which is in the Cameron Brooks Reading Program, the Great Advantage, book. which is a huge book for us here at Cameron Brooks, Defining Our Values and Purpose, just came out with really what I would consider a sequel to Five Dysfunctional Team called The Ideal Team Player. And he says there's really three criteria to being an ideal team player. Number one is being humble. Second is uh, being hungry for success. So humble and hungry. And then being smart. And that, sec that third part, smart, is not smart from the standpoint that you're intellectually smart. Smart meaning that you have good emotional intelligence, meaning you know how to work with people, interact with people, wide variety of personalities, up, across, suppliers, team members, and to be able to really, you know, work through conflict smart, um, to be able to negotiate, um, to be able to listen. That's what he means by smart. And, but that humility, the first, first word's humble. It starts with humility. And... Um, uh, you and I have both seen, and I'm sure listeners as well, people that don't have the humility, but you've got to take that with you into corporate America as too. I'm here to deliver results, but I've got to learn quickly as well. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. What great, is the, great author, by the way. Great author. Um, in yeah. fact, at, on my team, we, we do quarterly um, um, book club because I believe that, you know, learning is a is – a, <laughs> Is a never-ending journey, and in fact, we uh, we went through one of his books, uh, "Death by Meeting," right? A leadership fable, a fable about solving the most painful problem in business, which is meetings. Um, and a great, a great author. And while I haven't read all of his books, um, he's meaningful in that discussion with with our organization. Great, you led into. I got a couple more questions before we have to to wrap up here. Um, what what is the book that you have read that's been the most impactful? Uh, I would say without question, um, it's Angela Duckworth's book called Grit, which is the power of passion and perseverance. Um, Angela is actually an extremely interesting author, um, and she attempts to um, – her, her, her thesis, if you will, her theory is that is there a difference between IQ 
and EQ, and what are the factors that most successful people demonstrate in order to be um, uber successful, if you will. And, uh, and it goes to grit, which in her definition, right, is the propensity to break down brick walls um, with a cohesive organization and team to help. And uh, it's not all about skill, it's not all about talent, and it's not all about effort, right? But effort absolutely is, a, uh, is an exponential uh, multiplier to talent. And um, she's a tremendous author. She's actually done a lot of studies at West Point to help um, the military academy and look at um, high-performing leaders that come into an organization, right? The typical class at West Point or Annapolis or Air Force or Coast Guard or any of the premier, you know, academic and leadership institutions across our country and attempt to help the organization to identify and assess um, the characteristics of each of those leaders in terms of who will be successful and who will not be successful as they proceed forward in a career. And the grit factor is what she measures on. The second book I would say, Joel, is John Maxwell's book, Everyone Communicates and Few Connect, um, because I do believe the differentiation of a leader within the corporate environment is not the ability to communicate, but it is the ability to connect. Every single one of us can talk um, a lot. Very few of us can actually connect on an emotional basis that inspires organizations to act. Um, and it's probably without question um, the most influential communication book I've ever read in my life. Great. I have not read that one, so definitely be picking that one up. Okay, last question. Uh, what's the best advice that you've ever received, and would you like, to, if you're willing, to share that on to, with uh, our listeners? Yeah, Roger Cameron once told me, um, Mike, get out of my room and go sit on a rock and think about it. And, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> and let me let me tell you what I why I say that. And I'm not just saying that because this is a Cameron Brooks podcast. I'm saying it because what Roger did in a very unique and, and meaningful sentence was he humbled me to actually cause me to leave a room and to actually think deliberately about an answer to a very perplexing question that he asked me. And I think that that is very, very meaningful in in our in our in our paradigms. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's thrown at us every day in the military environment, and there's a lot of stuff that's thrown at us every day in the corporate environment. And those that apply deliberate thought to a problem and actually come to a comprehensive solution are typically more successful than those that just shoot from the hip and attempt to fake it until they make it. And being deliberate in our thought process and being deliberate in our communications are so is so much more important than just getting to a very quick answer um, and shooting from the hip. Great advice, Mike. Well, um, we've covered a lot of ground. I know there's actually a ton more ground we could we could absolutely cover. Um, so I hope to have the opportunity to have you back on, especially maybe after you finish up that special project that you're working on right now. Um, and uh, thank you for for taking your time to share all of your knowledge with our listeners. Absolutely, Joe. It's my pleasure.